I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode number 64. We are one, one more, one more, and we can retire, Mark LaCour. How are you feeling this week, brother? Yeah, I'm awesome, but we know neither one of us are even close to retiring. But you know what's interesting, James? I'm uh, sitting here uh, drinking coffee, thinking about how the concept of the show came together. I think we're big enough now. We need to reach out to uh, John and uh, Christopher and see if they want to be a guest on our show. Oh, that is such an amazing idea. So if anybody doesn't know, the he's, he's, he's mentioning the coffee because we based our show on marketing over coffee. That's how we started with the 20-minute format. And actually, Mark, I've become pretty tight with John Wall. I think we could definitely get one of those guys. Uh, be great to get them both, but maybe we can do one of the Twitter blab sessions I've been bothering you about for so long. All right, you 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 had someone reach out to you from What Sub C? Is that right? Yeah. So big shout out to Gary Archer. He's a global project manager with One Sub C. So Gary's based in the UK. He was over here in Houston for business, and he reached out to me and he wanted to meet me because of the podcast. I just think that's awesome. You know, we have that global reach and people want to uh, connect in person. And the funny thing is we exchanged so many uh, emails beforehand and uh, we follow each other on Twitter and Facebook. So I felt like I knew him, even though this is the first time we met in person. So uh, he drove up to the Petroleum Club after the API meet and we sat down for about 40 minutes or so. We had a great chat, um, great guy, great company. Um, so, you know, shout out to Gary Archer for taking that, that, that step to, to reach out to me in person. Yeah. And if you're in town, if you're in Houston, please reach out to us. We want to get to know you. We, we love putting a face with a download, if you will. And yeah, I've been experiencing that for years where I meet someone in person. Finally, and I'm like, wait, I've never met you, have I? <laughs> and, uh, it's a great, great thing. Let's get into the stories. We're going to kick it off with a few stories that we're um, following and we're just going to hit hit these real quick, and then we'll do a deeper dive into some of the other stories. But Saudi Aramco finalizes IPO options and plans global expansion. So what's the latest? Yeah, so basically it looks like they're, they're going to go IPO. It's going to be a huge IPO. It's going to be one of the biggest in the history of, of the earth, <laughs> probably around two, two, two and a half trillion with a T dollars. Wow. Now, remember, though, this is, yeah, this is less than 5% of Saudi Aramco. The valuation is based upon the amount of reserves they have. I think they have over close to 900 uh, million barrels of recoverable reserves that they've identified now, and they have more in the future. So um, it looks like they're going to IPO. They need to raise the cash to, to basically pad their savings account, which they had to dip into in this low crude price market. And then the global expansion part is, we've talked about this on other shows, is they're actually looking at downstream, specifically petrochemicals, and they're entering that market. So we'll keep following this story. Um, you know, from a business point of view, shrewd move by Saudi Aramco. Shrewd, shrewd. I cannot wait to see the numbers on that IPO making Silicon Valley look like schoolboys. <laughs> After 20 years, OPEC bids farewell to influential Saudi oil chief. Yeah, so this is a story. Um, um, this is a story about uh, Ali Al-Namiya, who's, who's been the, the head of the Saudis' um, um, oil program since, uh, shoot, he's been there since for 20-something years. He's in his 80s now. Um, and what's happening is the new crown prince has basically started to step in and uh, take control. Um, and he's, uh, you know, the backstory of this, is he's actually pushing um, uh, Ali out. And so Ali's going to go focus on another passion of his, which is actually teaching and fishing. Um, he's a big <laughs> awesome. Huh? 
Awesome. Yeah, he's a big fly fisherman, right? Which you don't picture somebody from the Middle East coming to Alaska and fly fishing. It's one of his big passions. So we'll continue to follow this story as well. I, you know, this guy has a lot of experience. Um, it's 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 gonna be interesting to see how the new prince handles this because this guy's seen oil under two dollars a barrel and up to 147 dollars. he has all that experience and that experience is basically walking out the door so we'll keep following this story as well i can't imagine that people aren't going to come knocking for consulting on that I, you know i think he's done right he, he has he's his financial situation is set <laughs> he has two passions uh, and i think he's gonna spend the rest of his day following his passions which is which is which is good for him um, I, I think OPEC's in trouble, <laughs> but we'll, like I said, we'll keep following. We'll this. keep following that. And then Nigeria has got some breaking news. They're they're set to deregulate their markets. Yeah, and, and and this is another step into bringing them up into the modern world. Once you dig deregulate the market, because right now Nigeria subsidizes a lot of fuel costs, and but they don't have enough fuel for their people, and they have to import stuff which they shouldn't have to, because they have a ton of oil and natural gas. So once you deregulate it, market forces come in and adjust everything. Short term-wise, the people are going to probably have a bit of a conniption fit because fuel prices are going to go up. Now remember, that's fuel prices are going to go up on top of the fact there's a lack of availability. But over long term-wise, this is going to be good for Nigeria and good for Nigerian's people. Absolutely. All right. Uh, last story that we're following just from last week, the very unfortunate fire up in Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada. And it is approaching Suncor. So talk us about that. Give us the update. Yeah, this thing's this thing is. Um, I don't want to say it's out of control, but the the firefighters ha- have yet to actually maintain complete control. This thing is growing. Um, it's up to about uh, 600 square miles of forest fires, and it's making a, a move north because of the dry weather conditions and the winds to approach the um, Bitman uh, mining operations by Suncor. If you don't know what Bitman is, uh, you drive over it every day here in the U.S. It's it's, it's also known as asphalt. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. I did not so, know. <laughs> yeah, and so that's a scary situation. Asphalt is flammable, especially if you heat it up enough. Um, so we'll keep following this story as well. Our hearts and our prayers go out to our brothers and sisters in Canada that are having to deal with this this you know this tragedy. Um, and like I said, they will eventually get it under control, but the weather is just not helping them. It's really not helping them. All right, let's uh, let, let's stretch our legs a little bit and go into the rest of the stories we have here. From Bloomberg, our, our last international story, Norway increases oil wealth spending to ward off recession. Spending to ward off recession in oil. Talks about it. Yeah, so Norway has a savings account, and it's called the Sovereign Wealth Fund. Norway, when they figured out they had all these, when they figured out before the rest of Europe did, they had all these North Sea reservoirs, they actually knew that as time goes on that they will make a ton of money, and at some point that money will dry up, and they need to have a savings account to pay for stuff. So that's what this wealth fund is. So they're going to dip into that because of the downturn in the crude market, especially in the North Sea. North Sea is suffering really badly because their fields are very mature. So their fields are getting close to being depleted. And you put that in this low crude price market and the cost of doing uh, getting oil around North Sea is much higher anywhere else. It's just a bad situation. So they're going to dip into their savings account, about $25 billion, and, and use that money in their economy to ward off a recession. And it will work. Norway is very good at this, and they're benefited by the fact that it's a true socialist government, and it's very small, so they can do stuff against it and make it work. Long-term-wise, it just won't work forever. You Just like you and I, if you start dipping into your savings account to, to pay your bills, there is an end to that. You can't do that forever. Um, and then, unfortunately, I don't see the North Sea coming back anytime soon. Eventually, it will. 
as as the economic situation makes sense to go out and stimulate these uh, these um, the fields in in the North Sea, then it will come back. But I don't see it happen, honestly, James. Probably for twenty years, maybe thirty years. So um, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Now, Norway's also been doing stuff that's actually very um, very smart. They've trying to get different. Um, businesses located in Norway so that their economy is not based totally on oil and gas. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. Um, if anybody can pull this off, it will be Norway. But like I said, they're dipping in their savings account and that is, that, that's not a, you know, you can't just do that forever. So let me get this straight then. They're not spending any money on oil. They're spending money that they've made from oil to stimulate the economy. Yeah. Yeah. To keep a recession from happening. Got it. Got it. And it's uh, the one interesting line. At the same time as spending increases, the government's cash flow from oil and gas production is expected to drop by almost 40 percent to 132 billion kroner this year. Yeah. So that's what I was talking about with the North Sea is, is, um, is in a bad situation. And that affects not just Norway, but things like Scotland and the UK and, um, you know, Aberdeen right now is, is, is suffering like crazy because of the low crude price. Norway's a little bit different. Is a socialist government, and they have a savings account, so they're able to keep their economy in a good place, even though their revenues is going to be decreased by you know forty percent. Mm-hmm. All right, a big story that just broke yesterday, and it's getting a lot of a lot of attention around the oil and gas interwebs. Obama said to plan release of methane limit rules on Thursday. Is this some sort of lame duck executive order that is? ushering in some more regulations that are going to hurt us or what's going on here no no yeah you're you're just about spot on let me tell you what's going on so the there's two sides to the renewable energy um thought process there's the people that truly believe that it's the best thing and their hearts and minds are committed to bring that online and then there's the people that are there to make money the people that are there to make money encourage the people um, with a lot of half truths that it is the right thing to do so what they've realized is they just literally cannot compete with oil and gas. They, they can't, and they don't want to admit that our um, impact to the environment has gone down every year since 1978. So what they're doing is they're trying to price us out. So basically solar and wind is equal to the price of oil and natural gas. Well, in a free market, that cannot exist. Oil and gas is so cheap to produce, and it, it's a limited um, put uh, energy for, for the for the globe. So what they're doing, and they figured out it's pretty smart on their part, is that if they add rules and regulations that increase the cost of natural gas, eventually, if they keep doing it, the cost will be so high that people will then look at solar and wind and other renewables because it's on an even cost keel. That's where this is going long-term-wise. There's no reason to regulate methane emissions. Um, methane is a greenhouse gas, but the biggest greenhouse gas, 95% of greenhouse gas is water vapor and nobody ever talks about that and then co2 is about three percent and then the, all the other gases um are about two percent methane falls in that that bucket uh, methane is a component of natural gas because natural gas has a dollar value the companies that produce natural gas don't like to let it leak out because it costs them money so this is just an, another temp of our government to add cost to the oil and gas industry so long term wise Things like renewables make more sense. Now, um, you know, it's it's. does the oil and gas industry need to worry about methane leakage? Yes. Are they doing it now on their own? Yes. Do we need the EPA to step in and require more testing and rules and replacement of, of – no. That just adds another cost to this industry. And honestly, James, do you know who pays that cost when you add, you know, a cost to the industry? Taxpayers. 
Yeah. So all your millennials out there, get ready for your electricity bill to go up, right? Get ready for the cost of driving your car to go up. Get ready for everything you buy. Everything you buy is transported, right? And it's transported uh, either in trains or, or trucks or, or ships, ocean liners, whatever. All those require fuel. And when their fuel cost goes up, the cost of your goods goes up. So, you know, we really need to step back as, as a population and go enough is enough. Quit trying to increase the cost of energy in this country. Yeah. And you mentioned CO2 just yesterday. Re, or on, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, Reason Magazine put out U.S. carbon dioxide emissions fall again down 12 percent from t- 2005. Yeah, and that has nothing to do with EPA or environmentalists or anti-frackers or um, renewable energy people. That has to do with us doing it ourselves. So, um, I, you know, in CO2, I, I heard a congressman or congresswoman actually talk about CO2 pollution. CO2 is not pollution. <laughs> it's a natural gas. It Plants would die without CO2. As a human, you exhale CO2 every day. And just it's funny how – and now I will give credit to the people that market those, um, those incorrect – ways of thinking they've done a really good job a lot of the population believes in this and it's just not true yeah and that speaks to our need as an industry to do everything we can to counteract these things and stay tuned (laughs) i'll just say that stay tuned we might be working on some things all right let's move over to commentary water technology innovation from texas gas and oil companies this is out of the monitor and i'm always interested to hear things about what we're doing around water because it it's an issue we have to deal with in this industry. Yeah. And, and so I really like this article because they don't take a political side one way or other. They talk about facts. Here's a good one. 1% of the water in Texas goes to frack wells. 1%. Yeah. That's it. 1%. 1%. And, and right. I, th- I think 15% or 20 goes to watering golf courses maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you're looking at your priorities about fresh water, go look at golf courses, not, not the oil and gas industry. But this is a great article talking about how companies are um, coming in and uh, bringing in new technologies to, to reduce that 1% even less and to recycle that water, to reuse it, um, to, to tap into water that is not drinkable. So a lot of brine, brinish or brackish water, which has salt in it. So, um, you know, uh, Anadarko has invested uh, um, over $500 million in water management conservation. Apache uses recycled water for all its fracking operations. A BHP built in has reduced its freshwater uses 20%. 20%. That's, um, that's a big cut right there. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it just, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So the industry, as usual, sees a problem, comes in, and we fix it. So if you're worried about freshwater usage in the U.S. or in North America, you now realize that the oil and gas industry has done more than anybody else to make sure there's plenty of fresh water. Yeah, I like this. I like this one. Um, one of the points that that you didn't hit on here in the Eagleford, brackish water accounted for eighty six point nine percent of water used for Marathon Oil's drilling and completions operations in two thousand fifteen. In addition, Marathon recycled over one million barrels of production of produced water in twenty fifteen for use in its use in its operation. And so, Marathon Oil doing doing their thing as well. Yeah, and and, and the whole industry is right. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, what's the, the nice thing about this is it can reduce the use of deep water injection wells. Um, and, and, and let me just be you know, totally blunt about this. The reason the companies are doing this is because they worry about the environment, but it's also cost savings. <laughs> I mean, it's actually, once you build the, the, the necessary infrastructure, it's actually cheaper to recycle your water or use brackish water than use fresh water. Um, but they also worry about the environment. One of the things that's a side benefit of this is we talked earlier how I was, um, I was wrong about, um, 
deep wastewater injection increase in seismic activity in certain parts of the country, well, now there's going to be less uh, wastewater injection, which will then decrease the seismic activity in parts of the country that are suffering from that. So, you know, all around, this is a win-win for everybody. I love hearing that because you and I were texting back and forth yesterday about my being completely freaked out by gas land and and all of the activism when I first came into the industry in 2010. And once I, you know, started learning about earthquakes and things, I, I just... I had to do some soul searching, as I told you. I'm, am I am I selling my soul here to have a, a living? And the free market in me said, well, basically the industry is going to come along and fix this problem. If it's an issue, we're going to fix it. And here's the example of that happening right now. Yeah, I actually, um, what was his name, Mike Brzezinski? Mike Brzezinski? Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the guy that corrected us and, and mm, talked about him. Yes. I actually have an interview interview coming out uh, in the next week or so with him, a Skype interview, just talking about this exact same thing. Perfect. All right. Well, we've, I, I've pushed back a couple of times in the, in, in different countries around M&A, trying to, trying to see if I can, if I can gotcha on your M&A projections. But here is a story from the Dallas News that is right up your alley in terms of exactly what you've been telling us about M&A for a long time. Mergers? Meh. Deal making slows to pretty dead pace in Texas. Yeah, so the, the MA activity has stalled. Uh, and, and once again, I, this article says Texas, but they're really talking about the oil and gas industry in Texas, not all MA. There's a lot of actually MA activity going on in the medical right now in Texas, which you never hear about, but this is an oil and gas show. So uh, maybe another podcast. Um, but anyway, um, it's, there, there's just been a slowdown in MA activity. And the reason that this slowdown is that the companies that normally would be acquired, their valuation is just low. They're just not worth as much. When you lose 30 or 40 or 50% of your company's value, nobody really wants to buy you yet. So um, there's a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines. We've talked about this numerous times. About a year and a half ago, it was a perfect storm for M&A activity. It just didn't happen. And so it's, it's you know, I don't see an increase in, in, in M&A activity. Now, we're still going to have mergers and acquisitions as part of the industry. It, it never stops. Um, but the, you know, the, the, a lot of people thought that this low crude price would drive a lot of MA activity and it's just not. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, very striking here. So merger market reports that during the first three months of 2016, Texas businesses were involved in 110 mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, or divestitures with combined value of 38.6 billion. By comparison, there were 159 such deals valued at 112, 112.6 billion in the third quarter of 2014, which was the peak of M&A in Texas after the end of the recession. When do you see this coming back? Um, it, so when the price of crude, when the price of crude comes back, which we think is going to happen uh, the last quarter of this year, you'll start seeing M&A activity pick up to get back to normal, but the, the superstorm of MA activity that everybody projected just didn't happen and it, and it won't happen. What is normal? Uh, you know, we, we typically in, in Texas, you're looking at, um, you know, probably 40 to $80 billion in MA activity a year. Um, for so far in, um, in uh, 2016, we've only had, uh, 18 billion, I think. So, I mean, you can see the Delta right there. Um, and once again, it's just it's the nature of the market right now. It's um it's just not prime for M and A activity. Yeah, 
All right. So a story that that we all saw coming. We've talked about it before on the show, but um, it it finally hit the hit the headlines. Actually, um, got an update from Houston Business Journal. I think around five o'clock breaking. Lynn Energy files for bankruptcy protection to restructure. Yeah, we, uh, unfortunately, I mean, we kind of called this a while back. Uh, we don't like to see any company uh, file for bankruptcy. Now, file for bankruptcy does not mean they're going out of business. It basically means they're going to the court saying we want some relief from this debt so we can rebuild our business, keep our people working, continue to pay payroll, continue to pay health benefits, all that sort of stuff. So uh, Lynn Energy filed, um, I think they have about um, – nine billion dollars in debt and their assets are about 12 billion dollars so they're 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 in a place that can be corrected um once they go through their restructuring and their um their debtor relief um they'll come out a leaner cleaner meaner company um which unfortunately probably means there's gonna be a pretty decent round of layoffs over there um and, and they basically um just grew too fast acquired too many properties spent too much cash and then downturn hit and they were just in a bad place I grew up in Michigan and then Detroit, and I'm very familiar with restructuring in terms of headlines. I've never really understood it. <laughs> Can you explain what it means when a company goes through a Chapter 11 restructuring? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take my business, okay? So Moodle Point, our, our core You're not filing for bankruptcy, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. I actually have the opposite problem. but um, Thank you. You're welcome. Business, You're welcome. Yeah, our core business is market research. And then we have some side business where we, we do some strategy around that. So if Modal Point would go through bankruptcy, I would go to the courts and say, look, I can't pay my bills, but I want to keep my company running. And this is my plan. And in my case, maybe I would sell my strategy business to raise some cash to help me pay my bills. The court would go through it, and there's rules they follow, right? There's laws. But they would then approve my restructuring plan. And what that means is I go out to the people I own money to, so say I owe a bank loan or two, and go, look, I've declared bankruptcy. I'm going through restructuring. Instead of having to pay you $2,000 a month, whatever my normal note is, the court says I can pay you $1,000 a month and eventually pay you off completely. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I might be wrong. Did Jack Welch do bring GE back that way? Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> um, um uh, not only GE, but there's been some very large companies that's had to uh, restructure, had to go through bankruptcy filings, and they've come out ahead. Um, so it's 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 a tool in the business toolbox. It's a tool you don't ever want to have to use, <laughs> but it's a tool in the toolbox. Yeah, and so it's it's it, it's not an abysmal failure as you might read it in the headline. That's interesting to me. It's still a failure because you're basically having to go to a judge and say, "I messed up. My company's." I have I have more money going out than I have going in, and I need some help. So it's still a failure, but the laws in the U.S. are set up to try to help you keep. Uh, it's, it's basically set up to try to keep your people employed, right? So um, it's 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 not it's not a horrible thing. It happens, um, but you know it's they've had to declare bankruptcy. Well, Jack Welch is a legend, and GE is doing pretty good these days. So if they went through it, plenty. Um, plenty of other companies, including Lent Energy, and I've got a couple friends over there, so I really hope they come out strong, stronger than ever. All right, we're going to move over to, I guess, a bit of midstream talk. And this Hellenic shipping news is giving us all kinds of great stories these days. Tanker shipping, signs of weakness are appearing, but there's still money to be made. Yeah, so they're talking about um, what they call VLCCs, which are very large crude carriers. <laughs> there's an acronym that actually makes sense, right? So it's a super tanker. Finally. Um, yeah, so they're talking about how their earnings are up because because people may not know this, but the tankers just make money by moving stuff. They don't care what they're moving. 
So as far as crude oil, some other company pays them to move that crude, and the tanker makes money delivering, moving it and delivering it. They have no interest. They didn't produce the crude, and and it's not going to their refinery. They're just there's just a, a you know infrastructure piece. So what's happening is in this low crude market, there's been an increase in need for for large, uh, very large crude carriers. And so, but there's always a cycle in the market. So this article is talking about how right now there's money being made out there, but because people saw this coming and built a bunch of ships there's gonna be an oversupply in the market which then eventually is gonna drive prices down and then you're gonna you have um you know you you gonna have um you know mergers acquisitions you got people go bankrupt blah 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 and it's just that's just how the market is it's always been that way in any market not just oil and gas so they talk about there's over um uh 4.35 million dwt and that's a dead weight tonnage that's how you measure um marine vessels is there basically their displacement um of crude oil tankers out there but um but um, there's 21.4 million deadweight tonnage for the whole year that have been launched. So if you need 4.3 million DWT and you have getting ready to have 21.4 million <laughs> capacity on the market, you can see what's happening. Kind of an oversupply. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what happens? And people look at this and if they don't understand, they go, well, that wasn't smart. What it is, it's a race. When you see this type of market developing, the first people to get tankers built on the market make a ton of money, ton of money. The last people to get their tankers market go bankrupt. And it's, it's happening right now in the U.S. with our ethylene crackers, right? The first people to get ethylene crackers on the market are going to make a ton of money. The last people to get ethylene crackers on the market are going to go bankrupt. It's just, it's just a normal market cycle. Yeah, same thing happened with acreage prices in, throughout the Eagleford and so forth when shale was heating up. And now, you know, what was $400 an acre is now, I don't know, you could probably know $7. that. $7. Yeah, <laughs> you probably know that better than me, but I was going to say probably less than 10 All right, speaking of money that can be made in the oil field in terms of tankers, there's a lot of money that can be made in the oil field in terms of automation. And Intech Process Automation is here to help, and they have a white paper that Mark can tell you about. Yeah, so if, if you're an operator, if you're a producer, if you're a service company that touches operators, there's money sitting on the table that you don't know is sitting there. And Intech is a company that can come in and help you pick that money up, put it in your pocket. They can come in and help you improve efficiencies in the field, which then frees up that money for you, for you to spend on other things. And they were very gracious. They wrote a white paper talking through process automation in the field, in the oil field, for our listeners. And it's free. So all you have to do is go, uh, uh, go to Go to the link that James could give you, sign up, and download this free white paper. If you're an operator or a service company that touches operations, you need to do this. Intech, what's that link, James? Yeah, it's intechww.com forward slash podcast, intechww.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, and a big shout out to Eric out there. He's doing really great work helping a lot of oil and gas um, smaller operators save money in this low crude price environment. Good man. We might be hearing from him soon as in next week. So we will get that out and we'll talk about another interview in just a second. Moving over here, businessman wants second life for ethanol's leftovers. So th we're talking ethan ethylene. Let's talk about ethanol. Yeah, this is actually a really cool story. Um, so ethanol is basically alcohol that you drink, moonshine, right? Vodka, whatever. It's ethanol. So the way you make ethanol is you take some sugars, you put some yeast in it, the yeast consume the sugars, and in the process of consuming the sugars, their byproduct is carbon dioxide and, and ethanol, alcohol. And so this guy, Scott Hornoffice, um, is has a great idea. 
So he he has a company called Elk Petroleum, which is uh, out in Wyoming, I think a handful of oil wells. And he wants to build a $1 billion, that's a billion-dollar, 1,000-mile underground pipeline across Iowa and Nebraska to Wyoming. And what would happen is it would carry the, F, the, the carbon dioxide, which is a waste product in Iowa, right? So um, Iowa's a corn state. Iowa's where most of the U.S. ethanol is produced. That part, I should say Iowa, that part of the U.S., that mid Midwest part of the U.S. is where ethanol is produced. And so the carbon dioxide, they just let vent to the atmosphere. They have no need for it. He wants to capture that, move it in a pop line, and then use it for things like – and you may not know this, but when you drink a soft drink, the bubbly stuff in your soft drink, that's carbon that's dioxide. That's carbon dioxide, yeah. Yeah. He wants to use it for stuff like that and also for stimulation of old oil wells. There's – when you do carbon dioxide injection, you basically add energy to the oil. So the oil that you can't normally capture will now flow and you can capture it. So um, as crazy as an idea as this looks like, I think it's cool. I think it's very smart basically taking something that's being thrown away in one part of the country, moving it to a place another part of the country has a need for it. Um, now, I, the thing I think is cool is this article was written because he wants to get in front of Warren Buffett. He, he, does, he can't get in front of Warren Buffett himself, but he wants to propose this idea to Warren Buffett. This whole article is basically him pitching to Warren Buffett in – in using content, which, you know, from a marketing point of view, you have to kind of hats off to him. This is, a, you know, really thinking outside the box. Yeah, that's brilliant. So he's using uh, content is, marketing, yeah. content marketing in the Omaha on yeah. Omaha.com. Um, th- yeah, this is, I, I, I want to interview this guy now. He sounds <laughs> he, like who, who would think this except for, I don't know, in, in an business. unbelievably in, innovative mind has to come up with something like that. And the business just makes sense, right? The ethanol producers get to monetize something they're throwing away for free right now. The pipeline company gets to make money just moving this stuff. They don't care what it is. And then the oil and gas wells in Wyoming and California um, get to have carbon-reduced stimulation and the ethanol to actually reduce the carbon levels in the refined fuel. So, I mean, it's just it, – it's a very simple idea, but this guy's a genius. I wonder how much money, because I don't see any dollar signs, would have to go into a project like this. Because if he's trying to get oh, in front of Warren Buffett, one billion. It's a billion. Okay. One billion. Yeah. Okay. So he's doing Which better. Warren Buffett is, is not a whole lot of money. <laughs> no, it's a nickel in his pocket. That's what it is. It's a nickel in his pocket um, compared to well, what the other we, thing about Buffett is that he owns um, what is it? Uh, Nebraska's Northern Natural Gas. Uh, uh, pipeline. So he Buffett already owns a large pipeline operation. So this would fit in Buffett's portfolio really well. Really, really well. Well, he's doing better than Kanye West tweeting uh, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg for a billion dollars for his ideas. So uh, hats off to this guy. And man, I'm going to write his name down and see and see if we can track him down. He he sounds like an interesting character. All right, another interesting character. How oil's most boring. CEO found himself a top 10 billion barrels. Yeah, this is uh, this is a good story. So um, this is a story about Pioneer. Pioneer has one of the most prime positions in the shell plays in the world. And this talks about how they figured it out back in 2011 um, that their geologist said, look, there's all this freaking oil there that nobody knows is there and we can get it out. So, um, um, their their CEO Scott Shelfield has been, uh, you know, he's been in the oil business since the seventies, right? And they were he was immensely involved because they before this they were all drilling verticals and they had some success. 
Then he started playing with horizontals, and he was one of the, the leaders in the, in the horizontal, the hydraulic fracking. So now they've they switch where they do no vertical wells anymore. Everything's horizontal, and um, um and you know Pioneer has these huge reserves that are recoverable, and they're actually doing well even in this low crude price market. So this is a perfect example of using science and business sense to look at a problem, figure out what the long term solution is, implement it, and then you're sitting pretty. Talk us through. There's a really interesting paragraph. I'm not going to read the whole thing about about how he pitched this to the board. Yeah. So so they they actually had he actually had to go to the board. Now remember, this was brand new. This was not tested yet. So he actually had to go to the board and show the seismics, um, um, the graphs and and the displays and everything on where this oil was and how they could recover it. And so the board, which are all oil and gas people, understood there was oil there, but they didn't think they could recover it because they're used to doing vertical wells. They had not done horizontals. They had not done fracking. And so then he had to come in and explain the technology that they wanted to use. Um, and, and, and it was a hard sell, right, because a, a frack well is four times more cost than a vertical. Um, but they tested it, and it worked. And then because it worked, they had the resources of the board, so they had the money to do more. And they did more and more and more and more. And now Pioneer is just, you know, sitting in, in, you know, oil heaven right now. Yeah. A $26 billion company with less than a tenth of Exxon's market value. Doing better in some ways than Exxon is. Right, right. For anyone who doesn't know, because this is something that I've come up to speed on in the last couple of years running my own business, I never knew that the CEO basically doesn't run things as you think he does. He has to report to a board of directors. Yeah. So it's um for all your entrepreneurs and you know small business out there, if you don't have a board that have elected a CEO, do not call yourself a CEO. That's a legal term. <laughs> the only way you can be CEO is if you have shares. It doesn't have to be public, but you have to have shares in a company. You have to have a board and that board has to elect you, then you're a CEO. If you don't have that situation in place, you're a president. Now, what the board does, the, the board is there to make money, bottom line, right? They, they have other interests too, right? Help the environment and prosperity and everything. But bottom line is they're there to make money. So they hire a CEO that can make money for them. And that's why, you know, uh, we had the whole Occupy Wall Street movement a few years ago. Everybody's talking about executive uh, compensation was way too much. Try to go run somebody like Ford or Microsoft. There's only a handful of people in the world that can do that profitably, that the board trusts and that they, they can prove to the board they can make money. And so just like athletes, there's only a handful of people that can be an NFL quarterback, right? Not everybody can. So because, once again, you get into market conditions. If there's only a handful of people that can do this job, the price goes up. And yeah, you may pay a CEO of a big company several million, maybe 10 or 20 or maybe even 100 million a year. But what if he makes a billion dollars a year for his company or 2 billion or 50 billion? It's pocket change just, at that point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just how it works. So, yeah, so the CEO reports to the board, but the board expects the CEO to make right decisions. Now, when the CEOs could do something that he needs approval for, he has to go back to the board and then they vote on it, they get approval. So, um, that that's actually how that works. Yeah, I did the math sometime last year. I can't remember exactly when. I think there was some sort of a Facebook exchange going on around this whole CEO compensation thing. And I did the math on how much Tim Cook makes in commission based off of apple sales and it was less than one percent and someone who's been in sales for a long time i mean come on that that's not that's not the greatest commission structure that you can have going into a business and so it really puts things in perspective 
when you're making a company that much money. Yeah, and and, and please, nobody take this the wrong way. It also goes back to just plain ignorance. People don't understand, you know, the whole Occupy Wall Street. I found it funny that the people that were sitting there protesting Wall Street were wearing Nike tennis shoes. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it just really you. What is the new new Mike Jordans at that? Yeah. They just didn't understand business, and they just, you know, it, and it just, it was r- ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on from there. Maybe I'll put Peter Schiff. I'm going to do that. I'll put an extra in here. Peter Schiff down at Wall, uh, Occupy Wall Street, the one percent. You've seen that video, I know. That's yeah, that, that's actually really really good. <laughs> he goes down there. He's got the camera. He's like, I'm the one percent. What's going on? Let's talk. <laughs> and, oh, it's good stuff. All right. Um, speaking of good stuff, we're going to round it out. This is a really really cool story from um, OAOA.com, single mom handles degree raising family. Yeah, this is, this is totally, totally awesome. This is a story about Melissa Gary, um, who raised a family, decided to go back to school and become a petroleum engineer, and she did it. <laughs> um, now, and, you know, hats off to her. You know, raising a family is a full-time job plus two, um, and she has uh, three children. And so once her children got a little bit older, she decided she wanted to go back to school, did a, get a degree, and she did. So, you know, it's, you know, hats off to her. She's going to have a long, successful, prosperous career in the oil field. And, uh, you know, Melissa, welcome to the family. Yeah, welcome to the family. Hopefully, hopefully you will hear this and, and maybe we can have a chat on the phone sometime. Congratulations on your degree. My mom completed her nursing degree. Actually, I graduated from high school at the same time I'm, my mom graduated from nursing school. I have no idea how these women do it, but somehow they make it happen. And, uh, good another good endorsement for why we need women in the oil field because they could see they could see things that we can not all right we have a winner but first i'm gonna throw in the weekly onion just to make you cringe isis starting to worry new recruit huge psycho (laughs) oh mark is cringing we have a winner jerry levine maintenance supervisor at cuit this company sounds awesome mark I, I, I hadn't heard of them until now, but I can only imagine that you know about them because they're a Fortune 500 contractor that's employee-owned, and it was founded in 1884. Yeah, so, so they're a huge construction engineering organization, and they're in, uh, where are they in Omaha? Omaha, yeah. That's where they're headquartered. Um, great company, been around for a long time. Um, I actually have a backstory. I uh, I did some work for a company that uh, Keywood actually acquired a few years ago. So I have some great connections over there. But um, these guys build big stuff. <laughs> they do it very, very well. You know, so hats off to Jerry for winning that bag. You're going to love this. You're going to love it. We have we have created a black market for these <laughs> for these bags in in the oil field. Um, so yeah, have we talked about that. Almost? Yeah, we we mentioned it, but <laughs> but yeah. I didn't say exactly the black market. But yes, there is a black market going on. So, uh, but yeah, but, I literally have people reaching out to me, offering me cash for these bags. <laughs> and we don't do that, right? You have to win one. But it's just funny to see the you, demand you to, is so high. You have to win one. You can buy one too, but um, you have to win one. Um, but yeah, so speaking of Red Wing, I cannot wait to publish this interview with Tito Warren and Jim Bailey from Red Wing. We, we sat down at OTC in the upstairs of their booth and just amazing, amazing people. You've known Tito much, much longer than I have, Mark. So maybe you can tell us about him. Yeah, Tito's a great guy. So Tito's in charge of uh, global sales for Red Wing. Um, just, just a solid individual, right? And he, he cares passionately about doing good 
business. And like I said, he's, he's a fun guy. Now, it's, a, it's an inside joke. I only see him in person once a year at OTC. <laughs> no matter how hard we try together, it seems like we can only get together one day a year at OTC. And But uh, he's but always in guy. Houston, though. He, he's always huh? in Houston, though, you yeah, said. he's always in Houston. We just never can get together. Um, but, you know, great guy, a solid, solid company. They, they do it right, right? Quality is their mantra. So, um, you know, everybody knows their boots, but you, what you may not know is that they actually have a whole line of PPE. So if you got guys in a field that need protective clothing, or equipment, whatever, look at Red Wing. They have good stuff. And because they're a one-stop shop, they can actually save you a couple dollars. Yeah, and watch for that interview next week. It's going to be huge. And if you want to win one of these bags, just there is no purchase necessary. You can see the official site for rules and details. It's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. I cannot say enough good things. I don't leave the house without my Red Wing bag now, Mark. So I love it. I, I actually that because in the last since you've gotten one i don't think i've ever seen you without it yeah always always have it always have you know me i'm i'm always traveling light right podcasting equipment and everything uh rolling around with me we have some events to get into events on deck we've got the bells six annual bugs and barbecue i don't know about this but it sounds fun because it's at rebels honky tonk on washington ave in houston next thursday may 19th so tell us about it yeah, so, so this is this is a great event. All this money goes to the Lone Star uh, Survivor Foundation. I'm sorry, Lone Survivor Foundation. The Bells are a, a, a organization of Southern Bells here in Houston, uh, and and they do a lot of work in the oil and gas industry. Now, I'll actually be here. Actually, me and uh, and Paige, shout out to Paige Wilson, our project manager, I will actually be here. Um, it's a great event. It's 25 bucks, but the money goes to a good cause, and you have all the crawfish and barbecue you can eat. And there'll be mechanical bulls and silent auctions and there'll be music. So if you get a chance, check this out. It's 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 a fun time um, and the money goes to a great cause. One week away. So, yeah, that that, that sounds fantastic. Maybe mm, I don't know if I'll be able to make it, but uh, maybe take a picture. I know I know I know we'll get at least a selfie from Paige. All right. S.P.E.I.A.E.E. <laughs> Hydrocarbon Economics and Evaluation Symposium. That's happening May 17th. 17th and 18th at the Royal Sinesta Hotel in Houston, Texas. Royal Sinesta, that is the the same place that I got the hotel confirmation from for James Hahn, the PGA golfer, Mark. <laughs> but that That's was in cool. that was in North Carolina. I haven't told you, I've since DM'd with him. So he's a good guy. Um, regardless, tell us about what's going on at S-P-E-I-A-E-E. So this is a Society of Petroleum Engineer event. I'll be there. I'll actually be there as press. Um, if you're interested in the financials, business, and, and any of the um, um, business drivers in North America around hydrocarbons, especially how you evaluate the, the pricing and the business viability of it, you need to check this out. They're going to have some heavy hard headers there, um, some great um, business people there talking about you know things like fundamental drivers and commodity cycles, the dynamics and oil and gas valuation. So a bunch of professionals, if you're in this part of the industry, go check this thing out. Like I said, I'll be there as well. Yeah, and if you're not in this part of industry, great opportunity for education. Yeah, very great part of education. All right, we have the first Friday Q&A three weeks away. We have two left over from last time because we had someone submit five. We're not hating on you, brother. We love you. We love you. <laughs> We're just capping it off at, at two. And these are from Glenn Mann, who I spoke to yesterday. So I've got his on file, but we need some more, Mark. 
Yeah, come on, people. Uh, give us some questions. Anything you want to know about this industry, and I mean anything, ask us. Uh, if we use your question on the mic, uh, you'll get a big shout-out, so maybe you'll get discovered by Hollywood. And if you really want to score brownie points with James, go leave a voicemail because he is drooling for somebody to leave a voicemail so he can drop that audio into our podcast. I've gotten two voicemails this week, neither of them questions. <laughs> so I'm at least getting voicemails now, but I need some questions. All right, and then the LinkedIn group continues to grow. Tell us about it, Mark. Yeah, if you listen to podcasts, go join the LinkedIn group. I mean, it's just done. It, it, you need to. We have a bunch of new stuff coming out. Uh, we have new podcasts coming out. We have some live events coming out, and you'll find out about it first on the LinkedIn group. So if you listen to podcasts, go, go sign up for it. Now, it's not called This Week in Oil and Gas. What's it called, James? And the show is not called This Week in Oil and Gas anymore, but it's, oh, that's uh, right. yeah, it's Global Oil and Gas Network because that's who we are. And like Mark said, we've got a lot of things in the works. We got one review over the last week. So this is from KLC261982. Um, so shout out to my fellow Gen Xer out there. Great podcast. Mark's knowledge is very helpful. And James's upbeat attitude is great. Good podcast team. Love listening to them. Thank you for that five-star review. If you have a review, it doesn't have to be five stars. And we, we got one. We're, we're very happy with one, but we need more, Mark. Yeah, come on, people. It takes a minute and a half. It helps us drive uh... – uh, us up in the search engine rankings, and more people can discover us. And quite frankly, we don't charge you for this, so you owe me. <laughs> Go take the minute and a half, give us a review. It'll help us, and it'll make you happier person. Yeah, and and we don't charge you for this because we have sponsors. So thank you very much to our sponsors for being able to helping us be able to put this content out. Please go and and download the white papers. Try to win the bag because then you're supporting our sponsorship so that we can continue putting out this content for you. If you have any comments, any comments about this particular episode, or if you want to dig deeper into any of the stories that we talked about today, you can find all of the links in the show notes, which is a fancy word for blog post. The blog post for this episode is at triberocket.com forward slash TW64. I just finished installing the Facebook comments plugin, and then we have discussed there as well. So you've got plenty of ways to leave comments. And if you made it this far in the show, please share it with your friend, with your friends at triberocket.com forward slash share li. They'll share it straight to LinkedIn forward slash share FB. We'll send you to Facebook to share it. And forward slash share TW will take you to Twitter. And I got to go. Are you ready to go, Mark? Yeah. Folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. James on the second. And I'm Mark LaCour. And now I can hear myself.